Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town. I am King13, and I just want to let you know a little bit about our uh, website, SoberTownPodcast.com. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything to do with sobriety. Um, there are a lot of really nice personal stories there that people have shared, so you certainly won't feel alone if you listen to them. There are book references. There's a huge resource page that we've been working on that is expanding daily. There's links. There's even people with tattoo photos and normal photos. And basically, you can spend a lot of time just working your sobriety whilst you're there. So, again, just go to SobertownPodcast.com and have a little look and have a play around, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And today, riding the train with me is my really special guest and friend, Squirrel Monkey. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm so happy you're here. I couldn't, oh, I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled you're here. Um, and I think that a lot of people listening might know you, especially from our IAS community, because um, I've seen that you've got a lot of people following you. So uh, we were just chatting before and I was saying to you how I feel like uh, you'll be teaching me a lot today because you seem to um, have been at this longer than I have. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing um, your story and just where you're at in your sobriety. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Just begin wherever you feel like. All right. Well, thank you. So, yeah, I've been on the app for a while. Um, I am on there as Squirrel Monkey. You can just call me Squirrel if you want. And the, probably the reason I have a, a pretty good network is I've actually been on there a while. And you won't see a lot of posts on my, my account now. I started over. I originally was on there as Nerdy by Nature. And just because of some personal stuff going on in my life, um, it ended up being best to just delete that account, start over. And then I deleted that account, started over again. So I thought Squirrel Monkey would kind of be appropriate because I was being a bit squirrely. Um, But yeah, if you followed me before, uh, you might know me by nerdy by nature. So my story might sound a little bit more familiar once you go through that. Um, Really, for me, I am going to apologize. I think I might kind of take everybody in a backwards trip and then come back forward again. Um, when I finally started getting fully active on, on the app and then started joining the Zooms, I was not in a good, I was not in a good place. Um, my father had died. So I am 44 days sober. My father died 43 days ago. And my father was an alcoholic. He was a high-functioning alcoholic. Um, And it's crazy how the whole thing started because I went to Florida with a good friend of mine and we were on vacation. We both work in healthcare. We needed to decompress. We needed to just get away from our our jobs, our lives, everything. And so we decided to go to Florida. Well, we were about an hour away from where my dad was. He was supposed to be in a rehabilitation hospital because he'd had hip surgery. And I hadn't been able to get my dad on the phone for about a week. And so I thought, you know what, let me, why don't we just go see my dad? So we get off the plane, we stop, we, we get some cocktails. We had cocktails on the plane and before the plane as well, let's be real. But we got down there and I drove down to see my dad and my stepmother um, called my sister to let her know that my dad was being moved to hospice. And my sister called me and I was literally eight miles from the hospital um, was not expecting that, did not know what was going on. My dad's had some health issues and it all started back in February that it started getting really bad. So I was kind of surprised. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, 
But my stepmother had said that my dad was awake and alert and oriented and talking. Well, she didn't know I was in Florida. So I drove, we drove down there and she dropped me off. I said, just come back and pick me up in a couple of hours. And she said, just call her. So I thought, great. Well, she's going to go have drinks on the beach. I totally know her. Um, That had been her plan. But when I walked in, my dad was catatonic. Um, He was basically in a coma. He was unresponsive. I didn't understand what was going on. I talked to the nurses. I talked to the aides. I talked to the doctors. My dad had been unresponsive for four days and my stepmother had not told us. And so I was dealing with a lot of those emotions and she and I don't get along. And that was why she didn't know I was in Florida. And I was daddy's girl. So he, he would drop anything for me. And then it was, it was great. I'm re- I was really close to my dad and it was hard for me. And so over the duration of that week, I stepped back and spent my vacation with my girlfriend and we drank cocktails in the morning. We drank cocktails in the afternoon. We drank cocktails in the evening. We were basically just completely shit faced for the duration of the four days we were there. And my sister got down there because I called her, she's power of attorney. So she came down and she was dealing with my dad and my stepmother. And she agreed that I needed the mental health break from work because I work in healthcare and I deal with COVID all day long and I'm at burnout stage. Yeah. I'm just completely burnt out. So I, I took that time to spend it with my girlfriend to try to disconnect. And then I went to go see my dad and he just had a matter of a few days left. Well, I lost my mom two years ago to leukemia um, resulting from breast cancer. And we were, we were fortunate in that we had um, hospice. So that was nice because we knew she'd never be alone. Well, with my dad in the hospital, this was right when COVID was hitting Florida. It was just ramping up slowly and slowly. And um, so much so that we actually moved rooms three times in, in the time that I was with my dad. But I didn't want my dad to die alone. And neither did my sister. So my sister and I took shifts. I did night shifts. She did day shift. And I spent every night with my dad. Um, that's kind of what started this whole thing because my dad was a high functioning alcoholic. He and my mom divorced when I was in third grade. I never knew my dad without alcohol. I never knew um, what a normal childhood was. And I learned in my early twenties, don't speak to my father after two o'clock in the afternoon because he's drunk because nothing comes of it. He doesn't remember those conversations. And I've had a few of those days. I get it now. But I walked into that hospital thinking, you know, I'm the moderation queen. I can, I can handle my drink. Just, I, I, I drink here and there. It's fine. It's no big deal. And I'm sitting there with my dad every night. And one night I walked in and I had my little um, Walgreens bag and it had different vodkas in it and it had different whiskeys in it. And I, I'm literally setting my bottle down, filling it with some water, some water flavoring and dumping Tito's vodka in it. And I'm like, um, maybe, maybe I don't have this under control. Maybe I'm drinking a little more than I think I am. Mm-hmm. And so I would sit with my dad and, and I would think about how my life was changed because of how he drank and how hard it was to sit there and not have had the chance to say goodbye Although I kind of did back in in March, I I went down and saw him. Um, So I did have a good conversation with him then, but it just started weighing so heavily on me because 
I don't want to do that to my daughter. I don't want my daughter to be at my deathbed with regrets and questions and, and anger and hurt. And I would just cry. I'd talk to my dad and I'd cry. And, and a lot of this is stuff that I posted on the, I am uh, nerdy by nature on the, on the app. So you won't see it on my new one, but it was, it was hard for me. And then they were changing the rules at the hospital. They weren't going to allow visitors in. So they were going to bring in a hospice nurse, but we had to go. We weren't allowed to stay anymore. So I came home, but before I came home, I told, I kissed my dad on the forehead and I told him when, when he dies, I will, I will face this. I I will face my drinking, face my choices and do something about it. And promptly came home and got drunk and got drunk the next day. And in fact, I was so drunk that we went parasailing and I fell on the boat. And I'm thinking, because I'm drunk, this is funny. And everybody with me is like, oh my God, what is, what is wrong with her? So, and then it was the day after that. So um, that was a Tuesday that we went parasailing and I drank too much. Um, That Tuesday night, I had a dream that my dad came to visit me. And I don't think I've shared this with anybody other than a couple of people in my Zoom class, in my Zoom group, but I dreamt that he came to see me and that he told me I needed, I needed to stop. I needed to to deal with my shit. I needed to figure out what my triggers are and I needed to deal with this. And um, I woke up and my clock's at 11, 11 PM. My dad died the next morning. I got the call at 11, 11 AM. So from that, that night before, from that moment on, I stopped and I haven't touched it since. And that's, that's kind of started my journey back. Um, I I feel like I moderated for years. I would have a drink here and there. My ex fiance even commented once about how he was amazed at how I could handle my alcohol. But realistically, um, you know, we all drink for different reasons. And I have come to accept that I drink to not feel. I drink to not share emotions. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I was taught from a very early age, pretty much when my parents were splitting up, you don't cry, you don't show emotion, you just stick it down and you just don't deal with it. And I've found over the years that that's what I've been doing with alcohol. And so I started the 30 day experiment experience. I don't remember which one it is. But the reason I started that was because I have done, like a lot of us do, I've done the dry January or the dry July or just random 30 days here and there. And every time at the end of that 30 days, I would be like, yes, I can drink now. I don't have a problem. I am good to go. And so I would start back up again. And it's crazy how much of a lie that is. And the more you do it, the more you can lie to yourself about it. And I had gotten pretty good. I had, I had a, about when my daughter was in high school where I started drinking too much right after I got divorced and she and I had exchanged words once. And so I stopped drinking for a while and did really good with it, but I still just would drink here and there. But when I would drink, I would drink, if I opened a bottle of wine, I would drink the whole bottle of wine or two. And there were times I was drinking three, but, oh, I was moderating because I only do this once a week or twice a week or but it was different this time doing the 30 day experience experiment. I'm sorry, Andy Grace, I'm getting it wrong. I really apologize. But 
it was different this time. And I think it's because this time, each step as you're going through your, your sobriety, the lesson is teaching you, okay, well, today you probably have an upset stomach today. You probably are feeling a little emotional. You might not be sleeping. You might be feeling grief. You might be feeling anxiety and all of these things I have felt in the past when I've done my 30 days, but I've never really focused on it. So this time doing that experiment, I started realizing, oh, this, this is my body getting rid of a poison. And I'd never thought of it as a poison. I mean, I, I know a lot of people do, but I'd never thought of it that way. And I'm in healthcare and I'm, I have a degree in biology. You'd think I would know that this is a toxin and this is a poison, but I just never, I don't know if I was just oblivious or didn't put two and two together, or if it's just the, the lie alcohol tells you, but I just never really thought much about it. And the further I got into the experiment and journaling and thinking about my dad's death and stuff, my sister and I'd been talking about, about my parents when they were together and their drinking, I just started realizing, yeah, I, I have a problem. And there's a point in the lesson where it, it references how to know if you're an alcoholic and if you, if you have one drink a week or two drinks a week or drink every night, and I thought moderating was drink every night <laughs> um, under the classifications, that's not moderating. <laughs> that's a moderate drinker. <laughs> so, so yeah, that would, that's, that was kind of quite eye-opening and um, it's forced me to deal with emotions where I struggle right now is my thing has always been to come home at night and mm decompress with the drink because healthcare is hard right now. Um, it's brutal. We've been doing this for two years and I have nobody to come home to. So I don't have anyone to decompress with. Um, my decompressed partner was my drinking buddy in Florida. And so, and now she's gone because she's on a contract. So I had to sit with my emotions and that that's been hard. I started joining the Zooms. I got on them really quick because my fear was I would come home from work, cave and drink. And so I started getting on the Zooms at work. And I got it. I'm going to give a shout out to the, the crew that's on the weekend Zooms. They are awesome at accepting me because I am there at work, uh, jumping in and out, kind of acting squirrely. <laughs> but I, I'm there and I'm present and I'm, I'm doing it because... Sometimes my emotions scare me and I don't want to come home and I don't want to drink and I don't want to be my father. And I have pictures of my father all over my kitchen where all of my drinks used to be hidden just to remind me of my purpose. And also I've got a picture of my daughter and my dad and that has helped as well. But having to sit with these emotions fucking sucks because it has opened up a lot of what I did in the past and how I drank in the past. Yeah, and look, I'm really sorry for your loss. Um, you and I can talk further even off air about this because I too lost my parents, both of them. And it is, you know, no one can no one can tell you until you go through it yourself. It's really, really tough. Uh, let's get back. You've got you've only got the one sibling, your sister, is that correct? I had two. Um, my brother died. Um, he was a type one diabetic, and he died three years ago, back when the flu season was really bad. And yeah, it was, it was very unexpected. We were 14 months apart. So I lost him three years ago, my mom, two years ago, and then my dad recently. 
So oh I have a God. sibling. I have one sister. She's six years older than me. God, I feel like I'm saying I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. That's a lot of stress, <laughs> squirrel. That's a lot of stress. Um, yeah. So, okay, let's go back a little bit. <clears throat> you were in Florida. Is that where your parents were living? Is that where you were born or where did you grow up? And I actually grew up in Texas. I'm a native Texan. And um, <clears throat> my dad moved to Florida the same year my mom moved back to Texas because <laughs> my parents split up when I was in third grade. And um, I'm originally from Texas. We moved up to Missouri when I was in high school. And for my, my mother said it was for a better environment. And I'll admit it, I was a 15-year-old dumb blonde. I did not understand what she meant by better environment. Um, my sister opened my eyes to that. My mom was drinking and was having trouble keeping a job. And my grandfather gave her a job. This is stuff I just learned in this last year, two years since she died. But I thought we came up here for a better environment because from Houston, Texas to Podunk, Missouri, it was like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> and I stayed and then my family all came up here and then my family all went back to Texas. And then when they all went to Texas, my dad went to Florida. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because even as children, and, and I'm just going to say this, I have learned so much too, and even recently, um, about my mother's side of the family. I've just found seven first cousins that I've had nothing to do with my entire life. They're in Wales. And people come out of the woodwork. It's a really funny thing when people pass away. You know, so many things you can just discover. In fact, I wish my mother was on earth right now so she could tell me all about what is going on because I'm trying to piece it all together alone and it's not easy, you know. No. Um, so is your sister in Missouri or where did she reside? She is in northern Texas. She's up in okay, up so around the Dallas there. region. So her and her front, her family are all back down there. And she has lots of kids and grandkids and all of that. I have one kid who's pretty much determined she's not going to have children. So I have grand dogs. <laughs> How old is your daughter? Uh, she's 23. Yeah, I thought she'd be. So she's what recently graduated off working now and Yep. I've got a I've got a stepdaughter who's 23 and so yeah. she's ready to ready to take the world on. Well, and I caution her because she's always known that her papa was an, was an alcoholic because we would go visit and she wouldn't understand <clears throat> certain things. So I was always very open with her about that and it it's crazy how you look back now and go but I wasn't that much different. I just wasn't drinking as much. But I always cautioned her because her dad's father drank himself to death. So my daughter has alcoholism, the addiction of it on both sides of the family. So I always caution her about it and she's bartending. And so there's that side of me that just kind of squeals, but we have enough open conversations about it. And she knows I'm not drinking right now and she knows why. And I think she's a little bit more intellectual about it than I have been, but mm -hmm. I still get kind of nervous because it, you know, it snuck up on me and I don't want it to sneak up on her. Yeah, look, and yet, look keeping the lines of communication open is key, isn't it? The fact mm -hmm. that I'm so proud of you that she just, you know, you've let her know, hey, this is what mum's doing. The photo's there with your father in honour, you know, and I know, number one, obviously you're doing it for yourself, but it really does help for motivation to have those things around you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I can say the same thing. My folks never saw me sober on earth either and I really, and my stepfather wasn't a, um, wasn't a drinker my mother mm -hmm. stopped drinking in her 40s 
but like you, my parents got divorced a little bit earlier. How did, did you feel, I mean, I know you had some observations growing up, but did you feel like you had a fairly normal childhood, say from the ages <laughs> up until about high school? Or were you, or were oh, you when did you realise that things weren't just, oh, we're oh, moving God. through a better, you know, a better life so, or whatever? It's funny you say that because growing up, I thought my childhood was awesome. It was totally normal. Um, it wasn't until my mom died and we were talking to my aunt and it clicks this light bulb off in my head that, oh my God, if this happened now, I would have been taken away from my parents. <laughs> that was not know, normal. Right? <laughs> my, my parents were very much the socialite group when they were together and they always went out and had drinks and parties. And I can remember being like five years old. And going to parties with them where all the adults would sit and drink. And that's where I developed my taste for scotch because I would go around and put my grubby little fingers in everybody's scotch glass and steal their ice because I love <laughs> the way scotch ice tasted. And that was normal. <laughs> I didn't think anything about that. And then even after my parents got divorced, my mom was a travel agent and she would leave my brother and I, we were 14 months apart and my sister was already out of the house. She would leave us for a week or two with $50 and expect us to get to school, expect us to cook our meals. I was in sixth grade, sixth grade. And my mom did this for two weeks and she would do this all the time. And I just thought it was completely normal. And then when I moved in with my dad um, in seventh grade, honestly, because I was being just a total brat to my mother, I'll admit it. Um, I moved in with him in seventh grade. Well, we lived out in the suburbs of Houston. He lived, he worked in Houston, had a girlfriend in Houston. So throughout the week, he didn't want to drive home at night. He wanted to stay in town because mm -hmm. it's just easier. Well, you know, because he was drinking, it's just safer. So here's the seventh grader in a house um, all by herself for an entire week. I would see my dad on the weekends and I thought, hey, I'm just hot shit. I've got this house to myself. It's my own place. Um, I started raiding the liquor cabinet and I would have friends over and we, we would raid his liquor cabinet. And because we were afraid we would get caught, we would refill it with whatever <laughs> looked like the same color. So of course, vodka, you'd refill it with water. Um, he had some tequila. We, we, we found just the perfect shade of tea that you could refill the tequila with. And, and I just thought I was just living high on the hog. Never thought anything about how bad that was. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, people lose their kids for this stuff now. <laughs> That's abandoned. I was going to say, you, you would have been very popular at school because all the kids are like, yeah, let's go around to squirrels. She's got it going on. Nobody, there's nobody there. It's like free run. Whereas oh, yeah. My parents, oh, my father was as strict as hell. God, I couldn't breathe about him wanting to know what was going on. I can remember one day somebody, a male from school rang me, and mind you, I'm 15 years old. And um, <laughs> Dad picked up the phone and they asked for me. And he, you know what he said? I'm sorry, she's not, allowed to have, she's not allowed to have phone calls from boys and slammed the phone down. And I had to go back to school and face everybody the next day. Oh my so needless <laughs> to say, my father was like, don't ever ring Deb's house, don't ring her house. It's like, oh, my God, don't go there. But so your sister at this time, I gather, was away because you were with your father. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had anybody looking over you. No, I had no, no, no parental supervision. And I moved back in with my mom um, because my dad was selling his house and I wanted to stay in the same neighborhood because, you know, kids have to be where they want to be. And so yeah. she got a house in the same neighborhood. So then I moved back in with my mom and I lived with my mom and my brother at that time. Cause when I lived with my dad, I didn't live with my brother very long. He and my dad didn't get along. 
Um, and then we moved up to Missouri for our better environment and it didn't get any better. We're in a small town. My brother started acting out. So my mom would pay attention to him. She wasn't paying any attention to me. I was making good grades in school. I was one of those that it just came kind of naturally. I could hear it, remember it, test on it, be fine. So I could cut class. I could do all these things. And no one ever said anything, even in the small town, because I was likable and I made good grades. So my mom didn't pay any attention. She had no clue what I was doing. But she also didn't put a stop to it because I can remember my senior year in high school asking her to buy me and a bunch of my girlfriends some purple passion and let us just go <laughs> hang out at the house and drink purple passion. What parent buys their kid purple passion? It's ever clear. <laughs> oh my God. But so, yeah, I never had that. I never had that. And I also never had um, anyone teaching me about my future and how to get into college or anything. And when my brother kept getting more and more attention because he was acting out, I was like, you know what? I kind of had this epiphany when I was 17 that I'm either going to fuck up my life and work at a jeans plant or a gas station for the rest of my life, or I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to do something. And I kind of realized, you know, my parents don't care. It's up to me. So that's when I started kind of looking at getting what, what I needed to do for school, going off to college. It was hard. Um, I took out a lot of debt because my mom and dad never taught me about student loans. They didn't teach me about um, scholarships. They didn't teach me any of that stuff. Um, so I, I struggled and I got married at 19 and um, partly because that way I could still go to school. But now I, I had none, none of that parental involvement growing up. So it's amazing that I survived. It's amazing that all three of us survived. <laughs> I was going to say, you know what, to have the foresight or just the insight to say it's 17 to yourself, I can either go this way or this way, that you're in a fork in the road, but there was a part of you that had this maturity to just be able to say, you know what, yeah, no, I want to do something with my life, which, you know, you have, my God, you're in a very highly stressful job at the moment. And, you know, you've, you've just got so much credibility with what you do in your career life and you could have gone completely the opposite way having no structure having no boundaries um this is a free-for-all you're getting with the wrong crowd but it's you know obviously you're very very strong-minded because there's only I, I thought this too you know there's only so far that someone can really push you but something in you just said hey no I want to do something with my life and mm -hmm. on you went so let's just say so after say high school at were you in college when you met your then husband I had actually met him my senior right before my senior year of high school and we dated right. and then we got married after my first semester of college um, because my mom was moving and I was going to be homeless and I was commuting so he he kind of I thought he was joking when he asked me to marry him. So I literally laughed at him, <laughs> but he was serious. But so we got married and I, we had a couple of, of stipulations. Um, mine was that I, I go to college. You support me while I go to college. This isn't a, a negotiation. And his was, we don't move to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then funny. both of us, we talked about the fact that my dad was an alcoholic and his dad was an alcoholic. So we didn't drink. And when we met that man drank all the time, he'd get off on Friday night, go grab a couple cases of beer. And his place was the party zone all weekend. And so when we got married, we quit drinking and it wasn't until honestly, oh gosh, 
it was when his grandmother died because we were helping take care of her. And I was very close to her. That was when I started drinking more. And I can look back now with everything I've been going through and recognize that I was drinking because I didn't know how to cope. It was the first person that I'd lost that I was close to. Mm-hmm. And my then husband also didn't because, I mean, she had basically been a substitute mother for him. So, and I was young, I didn't know how to help him and he didn't know how to process. So I started drinking wine more often and slowly started making him drink wine. I'd make like fruit smoothies with, with, with St. James winery, peach wine and stuff like that. Um, and I, I recognize now it was because we were just trying to cope and slowly I started drinking wine a little bit more often. We never had hard liquor in the house. We never had tequila or anything like that. But um, I had mommy wine because um, when I was 25, I had my daughter and um, when mommy needs a timeout, mommy gets mommy wine. And that was also about the time that um, we got real active in our church. And that was really good. And that was very healthy for a few years. And then our pastor left and I didn't like the new pastor because I'm opinionated and it was a free will Baptist church and they don't like that. <laughs> and it got to the point where um, in order to be able to get through some of the church functions, like we would have picnics out at our house and the whole church would be there and our pastor would be there. And I just, I didn't want to be there. And one of my other friends also didn't like the pastor. So we started uh, drinking what we called holy water <laughs> And that's just bottles of water with water flavoring and vodka in it. And nobody was any the wiser. And we had a great time. They probably thought we were like, I don't know, demonized or something, but we were having a great time. And looking back on that, I'm like, oh my God, that is not, not the way you cope. You don't cope with your emotions that way. You don't cope with your feelings that way. You've got to find a way to verbalize that. Yeah, no, it's totally the way we coped. <laughs> totally, because <laughs> it worked. It worked. It worked in the minute, and we were, you know, we were just talking about it, weren't we, in the Zooms yesterday about keeping secrets when we were drinking, and it was so funny when you told that story because you know, I, I mean, everyone sort of laughs and resignates. Oh God, you did that too, or yep, you filled the you know vodka bottle with water. I like you. I was a wine drinker because. Um, in Australia where I grew up and I didn't go to university I was out working by the time I was at before I was 18 actually Um, and we get our license and we can drink legally at 18 so you get everything and so as you were getting married I was out at night clubbing my butt off basically and did so for right through you know most of my 20s but it's interesting isn't it at 19 is very very young to get married like yes it is you hadn't even finished so you, you graduate college you're 25 and you're having a baby. Did you actually have any time to work in that period or did you graduated and had a baby? Um, <laughs> honestly, I maybe a year. Um, my then husband wanted children and I went through a stage of, I don't want kids. I want to have a career. I want to do this. I want to do that because my mom did instill in me what little bit of parental advice that stuck was I needed to be able to be self-supportive. Some shit yeah, happens, be self-supportive. Yeah. And maybe only a year, but honestly, I was working so much and here is my then husband having all of his stuff. He goes and does, he refereed football, he played basketball, he, he fished, he golfed and I'm sitting there. And as our daughter's getting older and older and I'm realizing it's me and her and he's off doing his own thing. And 
So no, I never really had that time to develop my own identity. And I started, my, my marriage wasn't the best. Um, he's a good dad and he would do anything for our daughter, but he didn't recognize that he was verbally and emotionally abusive. And I put up with it for a long time. And as, as it went on, I would drink more wine. Um, I did numb things for a few years with antidepressants. And I finally, that was probably a fight and a half to get off of because I, I used antidepressants and alcohol, which you shouldn't do. So then I finally got, I didn't stop the alcohol, but I did stop the antidepressants. And it wasn't until I was recognizing that I was teaching my daughter that the way I was being talked to and treated was okay, that I started to have some eye-opening experiences. I didn't drink anymore. And I started standing up for myself. I started encouraging her to use her voice and to process feelings. And, and this is all stuff that came about because of my coworkers. I had really supportive, really good coworkers at the time. And that, and that really helped, but eventually our marriage failed. And um, then all of a sudden I'm a single mom and I've got to figure out who the hell I am. Mm-hmm. And that, that was hard. And of course, the first thing I did was start drinking again and would drink wine. And we had a really good custody agreement in that I worked weekends. And um, so my daughter would be with her dad on the weekends and be with me during the week. Well, there was nothing worse than coming home on a Friday night and not having your kid there. And so I would drink and I would drink until I passed out. And then I would get up and go to work. And then that next night I would drink until I passed out, get up and go to work. And then I'd be in a horrible mood on Sunday night when my kid would come home. And I never really yeah. thought much about it. I thought, oh, well, I'm just drinking on the weekends. It's fine. I, I, I'm the, the soccer mom. I'm keeping my act together. I've, I've got it good. My kid has no idea. And there was a day that, that my daughter and I got into it with each other. And she told her, and we kind of split And she told her boyfriend that she guaranteed I was off somewhere drinking. And that was a gut punch because I was. Mm. And so I stopped drinking and I drank. My last drink was a bottle of wine that I drank the night that I got my divorce papers. And I sat in my bed and boohooed and bawled and, and drank the whole bottle. And then my daughter and I got into it the next day. But I didn't drink for quite a while. I, I didn't even touch the stuff. And I started learning who I was and I started therapy, highly recommend therapy, um, find the money. That's all I can say is find the money. But that started teaching me that I needed to figure out who I was because eventually my daughter was going to leave and I was going to still be a mom, but I was going to be an empty nest mom. And that scared me because I didn't know who I was and So here I am, I'm trying to know who I am. I'm trying to not drink. And I started having all of the anxiety that you get about two weeks in when you're like, you've got to do something because otherwise you're going to sit down and drink. So I started being massively OCD about my house and my daughter and I still laugh about it because she could always tell when I was really anxious because I'd be like up at 2am cleaning the kitchen and organizing pots and pans. (laughs) And she even walked in the door one night with a boyfriend and I'm sitting in the kitchen floor. I have all of these pots and pans out, all these bowls out, and I'm trying to find the lids to these pots and pans. And she literally walks in. She goes, this is my mom. She's having some (laughs) nervousness. Just ignore her. And she (laughs) walks on and I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my normal world. <laughs> yeah. And the sad thing is she's just as OCD as I am and it's awesome because <laughs> now I can laugh about it. But I, I, that's when I started hiking and hence my original idea of nerdy by nature, because I found out I love to hike and yeah. that bring, I realized it brings back memories of when my parents were together and we used to camp and I was really little. So that is my pastime. And whenever I am beyond stressed out and I need to have a conversation with God out loud, I go out in the woods and I do a lot of hiking and a lot of hiking trips. Yeah. Camping's really fun. We did it growing up too as children, but going back, you know, with your husband, all right. So you're 25 and you have your daughter. Mm-hmm. How long after that did you get divorced? How many years? Oh. So I got married at 19. So 1991. Yeah. Um, I got divorced in 2014. Okay. So you so stayed we together 23 for a bit. years. Yeah. 23, 23 yeah. years. So yeah. Wow. And was he during that time drinking too? Because you I know at the start you both said you weren't. He would and drink then- beer every once in a while, but I think the fact that he lost his dad to alcoholism and he had, he had some, some bad stuff that happened to him when he was younger. Um, he never really drank a lot. He got drunk one night after we got married, but that was it. Um, he would just drink beer. He was never a wine drinker. He was never mm. a hard liquor drinker um, and would not be okay with bringing tequila or vodka or anything in the house. But now he really he always did fine. It didn't seem like it man- mattered to him. And even mm. when he quit drinking, when we decided to get married, he did it cold turkey and was fine. Yeah, isn't it interesting when you look back? It's sort of, I mean, we're not professionals here by any means. We're just having a chat, but it, it depends what your normal is. You know, um, if you look at your spouse and you think, now, do I drink more than him? And he seems like a normie. And you start doing the comparisons, just like you did with moderation. I guess you can tell yourself, whatever story you want to tell yourself. And then you sort of, the people say one thing, you know, it's how you see yourself, how others see you and how you really are. And that sort mm-hmm. of applies to drinking as well, you know. Um, and at the time, you know, you had a lot of stress. So obviously you were, as I did with the stress, straight to the bottle. Because in that moment, you just want to forget. You just yeah. want to forget and just numb and not deal with it. But also... I think women are a little bit more maybe open to dealing with emotions because we have them all the time. And men don't seem to, I don't know, I know people that I don't think they'll ever deal with the things that have gone wrong. Hence, I think, will their drinking patterns ever change? You Mm -hmm. know? I think mine changed quite a bit. Um, Even getting divorced. I mean, I was drinking, but I wasn't I wouldn't say I was out of control with it so much. I was, I, yeah. I it was intentionally drinking to numb the pain and I totally knew it, but I also knew that I needed to stop. And, um, I did some counseling and I did a, a couple of divorce programs when I got divorced and that really helped me. And, and as far as learning how to, uh, figure out what I liked and get my own identity and, and be willing to stand up for my own identity. So that all, that all stuff actually, I did. Okay. And I would just drink every once in a while. I, like if I went out with my friends, I would have a drink and, and I would keep like the, the bubbly seltzers in the refrigerator or keep a, a bottle of flavored vodka. And um, I did have a bottle of scotch I bought and because it makes me think of my dad and, but they were always just special occasion kind of things. 
And that went on for several years and then COVID hit and Mm. my world got flipped upside down when COVID hit. And Mm. I think that was the start of where my problems with alcohol really started because we, we went into lockdown and I was, I was dating a man and we ended up getting engaged and it was nice to have somebody to talk to, but still when they're not in healthcare, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I I lost two friends to suicide and it, it was from burnout. And so that was, that was all really terrifying. And I started, that's when I started forgetting, I guess, that I needed to cope with my emotions. And I had done therapy and counseling of of several different types. But for some reason, when COVID hit, I just Mm. started drinking to decompress more. And I was lonely and I was scared. And we were not allowed to see our friends. We couldn't have hugs. It it sucked. Yeah, I think we're not alone there. I agree with you. I was, you know, time didn't really matter. Didn't matter Mm. what time of day it was. If I felt like a drink, I just had a drink. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the aftermath, and I mean, is COVID going away? Going to go away? Probably not. Um, you know, in where I come from in Australia at the moment, Sydney's been in lockdown for over two months. Melbourne's still in lockdown. You know, we're, I'm in Florida, so we are, we've been open since May last year. It's pretty much open slather here. But you don't know what the aftermath's going to be five years down the track of all the people that it's affected emotionally, you know, psychologically, um, their businesses, the family, even the children, who knows what effect this is all going to have because we're not used to being locked up for a start, um, having to witness, and the media is just, the media drives me crazy because having to witness the things that we saw in New York and people, you know, bodies going in trucks, I mean, families, like you said, you got to the point where you weren't even maybe able to see your father and it's bad enough as it is, you know, what you were going through, but having these restrictions on top of you as well, it's so debilitating and puts you in a frame of, my God, is this real? Like you almost feel like you're just living a bloody nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you can't, it got really bad because you couldn't even turn on TV and escape. I can remember after I, I, after my engagement ended and I moved to ball to, the town that I'm in now, um, I can remember sitting down one night after a horrible weekend at work and just wanting to sit down, decompress and watch some TV. And I usually don't watch a lot of TV. I turn it on and it's a medical drama. And the first thing that hits me in the face is COVID. And I'm like, I live this. Why does anybody want to watch this crap? I live it. It sucks. And so I turned it off because I was like, wow, I can't even freaking watch TV. So I turned off TV and didn't turn it back on for a while. And I, I just would sit and drink, especially on my nights off or my nights at work. It wasn't until I started drinking on my days off that that's when it snuck up on me, I guess you could say. So how many times do you think that you've really, like, I know you were talking about moderation and so forth. And you said to me that this is not your first time at giving mm-hmm. it a real shot. And um, you've explained now why you are doing it this way, but how many times before can you, do you remember experiencing like, you know, I really have had enough and, you know, I'm going to do something about it, but ended up obviously changing names on IS and we know a reason, one reason for that too. Yeah. But yeah, just a little bit more about um, experiences because lapsing is part of it, you know, just falling off the wagon is a part of it. And I want the listeners to understand that, that this yeah. is hard. This is not easy. 
The first time I, I really recognized it was back when my daughter was still at home with me and I stopped and it, and it was hard to stop, but I, I didn't recognize at the time that it was because of all the anxiety from all of the alcohol and all the depression mm-hmm. from the alcohol. So my OCD started kicking in and I started hiking and stuff. So that would have been my first one, but I didn't recognize it at the time. Um, since joining the sober community, IAS, um, there was one time before that and then twice on the community. So this makes my fifth time. Um, mm-hmm. Fifth time's the charm, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, five, five times. And each time I knew I needed to stop and I knew I didn't like who I was and I knew it wasn't healthy for me. But I would just be like, oh, it's fine. Because even when I first moved into my home, um, my engagement ended because, well, at the time, I didn't know why it ended. Um, it ended because he was hiding the fact that he was an alcoholic from me. And yeah. I was oblivious to it. And he hid it yeah. very well. I mean, we, we've talked about secrets and that man hid it exceptionally well. And it wasn't until after we split up that I recognized it. But when I first moved in here, I'm like, you know what? I hit the fuck it button and I went and I, I bought booze and I stocked my house with booze and I bought whiskeys and tequilas and vodkas. I bought the hard stuff. And the vodka I bought was not the, the El Cheapo vodka. It was, it was the high percentage stuff. And um, I developed an affinity for the Truly Lemonade. And I found that if you mix Truly Lemonade in with, with um, flavored vodkas, it was amazing, which is <laughs> kind of deadly. You shouldn't do that. Um, you really shouldn't do that. But I, I, I hit that button and I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. And I didn't stop. And honestly, it was because I was not processing my emotions. And then I stopped for about... That was the first time I got, or no, the second time I got on the sober app. No, the first time I got on the sober app, I stopped um, because I'm like, I can't do this. I've lost my fiance to, to alcohol. I have a long history of it with my family. I can't do this. I've, I've got yeah. to get this under control. And I recognize that what I'm doing is destructive. And so I stopped for a while and I would post on, on the app. And um, one time I got really nervous because I was going out with my girlfriends and I didn't know how to not drink because I'd I'd only been like at day seven and went out with my girlfriends and that started it up all over again. And because I was not emotionally prepared and I was not, I don't know, psychologically educated enough to recognize what was going on and and how that would be triggers and stuff like that. I just thought, Oh, it's just normal. I'm out with girls. It's normal. It's totally fine. And the second time I was on the app, I was getting ready to go hiking and And I, I was afraid that being out there on my own, that at night I would have a pity party and I would drink. And, um, but when I was on the app, those two, those, with those posts, I wasn't really connecting with anybody. I was just posting kind of like people post on Twitter and nobody responds kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. it, it didn't really do much for me, but the whole reason I found the app was because 10 seconds at a time, um, had shared a post and we know each other. And so I had reached out to her this last time and got back on there and connection was what mattered. And she got me connected with people and she had, she's like, Hey, um, a good friend of mine's on here. Go say hello. 
And, you know, we, we say it all the time that connections, the addict, the opposite of, of the addiction. And I can 100% attest to that now because I tried Mm. to do this by myself. I tried each, each of these other times and I always went backwards and I never thought twice about it. And, um, having people there to comment if you're down or if you get on and you see other people are dealing with insomnia the same way you are or are anxious or just pissed off at everybody having people that you can share that with has made all the difference um also doing the experiment the the actual experiment and and I didn't, I didn't do the paid one. I did the free one, but having that understanding that everything I was going through was all related to the alcohol, that's made a big difference. But yeah, this, this last time it kind of snuck up on me. And, and what's weird is I now have a little bit better understanding of my ex-fiance. Um, he's walking his own path in sobriety and I'm really, really proud of him for it. We're trying to mend some, some bridges. There's a lot of hurt there. But, you know, we're, we're working through that. And, um, I am back in counseling for burnout because in in my field, it's either, I needed to either face those emotions or find a different job. And so I started online counseling for burnout and it's, it's helping that between that and, and trying to get sober. It's definitely helping. Good. I reckon you need a cup up. What do you reckon? You've been talking, you poor thing. And cup of tea. You haven't even had a chance to get a sip of water or a cup up. All right, let's take a break. Let's do that. We'll, we'll go to the, the dining cart in the train. We'll get a cup of listeners and we will be right back. Go and get one yourselves. You probably need it too. Listeners, welcome back. We've got our cuppers and we're just going to pick up where we left off. Now, Squirrel Monkey, we were talking about this uh, ex-fiance of yours has come back into your life you now know what he's about that he like all of us had issues with alcohol so and also you know just thinking that it could be a really good thing because if he's honest with everything about himself now you guys could be a really good support system for each other mm-hmm. I was just thinking that while I was getting a cuppa you know yeah. what I mean? Things are different yeah. now. Things are different. The, the, the dynamics have changed. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, it's kind of crazy how it happened. I knew he used a sobriety app. I did not think it was this one, um, mainly because of um, 10 seconds at a time being a friend of mine. Um, so I just assumed he didn't use the, the app. And um, when my dad died, that weighed very heavily on me because when we were engaged, I had no clue he was an alcoholic. I, I don't know if I just had blind eye to it, if I just wanted to believe in the best, but there were conversations that didn't make sense. There were just different things. And I would see this different side of him and I didn't understand. Um, well, when my dad died, I reached out to him because we hadn't talked since January and just said, you know, I've, I've now lost the two men in my life that I loved the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad to alcoholism, I really hope you're still sober. And then I had posted something on IAS and then Molly had um, asked people to connect with me to help me because I was really struggling and he reached out. And so, yeah, we've been, we've been talking through a lot. We had talked through stuff in the past, but he was, Oh gosh, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but my journey now and what I've been through and how I felt for the last 
30 days, it kind of helps me understand because when he first went sober, we tried to talk and I didn't, it it didn't go well because of he was at that stage of dealing with anxiety and self-reflection and stuff. And now I get it because I've had to, I've had to sit in my own shit for a while, but um, yeah, it's been good to talk. Um, We've talked through a lot. He's been very open and honest with me about different things where he hit it, um, why he hit it. He's doing, he's doing his work. He's, he's walking his walk and I'm proud of him for it. And this, if nothing else, me getting so lost this last year kind of helped me understand a little bit better. And it is nice to know that there's someone that I can talk to that, that kind of understands. Now our reasons are very different. Um, his, his was def- definitely a reward system and mine has been hiding emotions. So it's different in that respect. And plus women process things differently. We do. And we do. And, you know, we've had, we've done a couple of podcasts about vulnerability, you know, because mm-hmm. we, it's hard for people to open up. And that's why I appreciate anyone that comes on here and tells their story and I want them to feel comfortable and, and be ready to do it because it's a really, you know, whilst it's fantastic for the listeners to be able to really learn and resonate with other people out there and, you know, we're learning every day things about ourselves and other people, you know, you really you really are putting yourself out there. But then most people who have done it have said to me, you know what, it's good, I feel really good about it because you are facing those emotions We've all got the same common denominator of why we are here because we could not moderate or control our alcohol and it did affect our lives and we didn't like where we were and it did cause us you know, anxiety and depression and all these other things. Oh, well, for me, it did anyway. And I got to the point where I didn't want to live like that anymore and I'd been doing it for so many years and I didn't know anything better. I didn't know that you could even possibly live this life, mm-hmm. you know, and all the symptoms that I had have now gone. Mm-hmm. and it's like it like you said before I'm scared to go back you know we were sort of in the break talking about um have you have you ever done drugs <laughs> and you said no I'm too scared I was like yeah I was too you know but having said that I drank more alcohol than than and it's not a competition or anything ever but my that's god because that I was the norm that's what that's what we do it was the norm. It, it, it's everywhere i mean you can't get away from it and no one ever says that it is the most toxic and no one tells you that to that if you're a if you're not careful and you're i have high functioning alcoholic like my dad was if you go into cold turkey after being an alcoholic since you were 15 it can kill you nobody tells you it's that deadly they just it, it's just out there that it's the thing to do you don't think and of it as a drug. A, isn't that amazing? Because we're such a rumor-based society. Like, if there's rumors about there about everything. And I don't even trust any media anymore. And Google's getting crazy because you put a word in and you get taken to all these different sites that people have bought keywords for. And it doesn't mean anything to do with what you're really looking at. Yet, we don't hear about And And I, at first, I felt stupid. I thought, how could I not know? I'm an intelligent mm-hmm. person. How? But it was because we saw our parents do it. We saw everyone around us doing it. Everybody seemed fine. Everybody, it represented a good time mm-hmm. until it didn't. Yeah. And the time it didn't was when I was on my own consuming it to levels beyond, you know, anybody should be consuming it at. And it had me isolated and disconnected and alone and unhappy and where it wanted me. 
And it was only then that I thought, this is not living, I'm just existing. And I used to say it all the time to my husband, I'm not living, I'm just existing. And we had moved around a lot. So, you know, even where I am now, um, being a holiday-based state, it's hard to, I'm 58, to meet new friends and have them stick because people are still moving or you meet someone that's here on holidays and they're terrific, but they still go back to their own stage or their own country and I'm not from it. It's just, it's just weird that, but I'm glad I did wake up. That's the good news, right? It's never too late, listeners. Mm-hmm. It's never, never, never too late. And I just want to give a shout-out to 10 Seconds too because she is a brilliant lady. She helps so many people connect and she does other things apart from IAS. And she's just such an inspiration for such a young age. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say to her, you know, we love you and you do a great job. And, yeah, she just she's yeah, just she, she, she's everybody. awesome I can I can remember when she left to go to Florida and I knew she was dealing with a lot but my I had just gone through my divorce and I understood her her need to leave I didn't know at the time what the whole story was but regardless I understood it and I understood how hard it is and how much yeah. courage you have you have to have and I don't remember exactly what I said to her but I had messaged her something and I was just super proud of her it's almost like mom, mom zone or something I guess I but she she's a strong young woman she didn't give herself yeah. near enough credit but the simple fact of the matter was she was moving halfway across the country not knowing anybody I don't care what your circumstances were for that that's ballsy and that demand that demands attention and massive respect especially for someone yeah. that young yeah, I agree. I agree. Just to be able to embrace life like that and just go where you know nobody. Yeah. You know, and she she's a she's a really friendly lady. So she's um she's terrific. So now that you're in how many I was gonna say to you, have you counted up the days? Because you've tried this many times, because I'm a great believer of just counting alcohol free days, not forget uh-huh. the lapses and breaks and all the things in between. Do you know how many days total that you have been alcohol free? Uh no. Yeah. It's it's been a while. Uh, like completely yeah. alcohol free. Oh gosh. Cuz I feel like you've got some like really like few days under your belt. Uh, if you if so 44 days is my streak right now. Um before this I the most I would go would maybe be 2 weeks. Um yeah. I, I had completely stopped back in 2017 and probably didn't have anything, but maybe once on a very rare occasion for about a year, year and a half there. Cause I got really hooked into keto and I didn't want to um, consume <laughs> the carbs from my wine. <laughs> so, and I'd lost a lot of weight and got really, really into a lot of that stuff. But um, for the most part, most of my streaks were usually two. So this is probably one of my longer streaks since 2017. Yeah, yeah well, you're doing great. And I'm going to make sure that we can do everything we can to keep you encouraged. And, you know, you were talking about staying connected and that is so important. And you do mm-hmm. find your people that you can trust. And, you know, we have the women's groups and we try and provide, you know, a safe environment for, for everybody there. And I think mm-hmm. that they're terrific because they are smaller. And we do talk about more intimate things and we talk about what's going on with us as women that, mm-hmm. you know, men really couldn't care less about or they just talk about their own thing and they're doing their own thing now too. Yeah. And I think that's terrific that they've got their own, that they've got their own. I think that's important. I think they yeah. need that as well. 
And you know, this my, is my ex did ask me if I, if I thought I would ever drink again. And I told him, no, I said, um, I don't want to drink again. That's the difference before it was always an, a, just a, just a de- decontamination time, I guess you could call it. But I told him, no, I said, I don't want to, I understand we relapse. And, um, you know, you get to past that first 30 d- days and there's that side of your brain that tells you, oh, you can do, you, you've got this, you made it 30 days. You can totally drink again. And when that started, I got on the Zooms because I'm like, I don't care if all I have time to do is say, hey, I'm squirrel monkey. See you later. I've got to do something because I didn't, I don't want to drink again. I don't, now that I know just how bad it is for your body, what it does to your mind, um, how it wrecks havoc with your emotions. It's, it's just, it's a wicked, wicked beast. And I don't want to do it now. And yeah, those Zooms, that's, that's been helpful because I, I had that 30 day conversation again and I'm like, "Mm -mm, we're not going there again. We're not doing that this time. Yeah. The little, uh, the attic voice will test you and test you and test you. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, this is kudos to you where you're doing the work. I know that you said, even with your career, you're doing some therapy. Um, Did you call it, what did you call it? What is it? the, The therapy that you're doing? Um, it's online, it's online counseling, and it's to deal directly with burnout with my work. Burnout, that was yes. it. Sorry, thank you. Yes, yes. because um, you can talk to anybody in healthcare, especially at least in, in my area. Um, there's not a day that goes by that people aren't saying, oh, I, could, I just, I'm ready to go home and have a drink, or I just need a drink. This would be so much easier with a drink. And are talking about going out and having a drink afterwards just to decompress. Well, eventually that gets to you. And I lost a coworker to suicide and alcoholism um, that I was currently working with. And then while I was engaged, I lost another one and she just drank herself to death. And it's because of the burnout, the burnout and the depression. And I was recognizing I was finally at that, getting to that stage and that, that was kind of scary. Um, I think the fact that I've lost two friends in, in my particular field within the last two years, it was kind of an eye opener that I needed to deal with this when I'm literally at work, looking forward to coming home and having a drink. And then on my day off going, Hey, I'm just going to day drink. There's a problem. And I had to face that problem. I know. And I was, I was just saying to you that, that nobody at your stage and age in life should have dealt with so many losses. Do you know what I mean? It's been a lot. Yeah. And the fact that I love that you're, that you're going back to nature and going back to hiking and you're starting to feel good and you're working really hard at this mm-hmm. sobriety, as I do. I take it, you know, I joke around a lot, but I take it really seriously. And there is not a day that, that doesn't go by that I try and turn up to the Zooms and I'm, you know, Annie Grace's book changed my life. My sister sent mm-hmm. it to me because someone had read it and said, this is fantastic. She said, she just said, well, you know, you need to read this. And I did. And it really did because I never understood what was, what it was actually doing to me. I knew that it wasn't good for your liver. Mm-hmm. That's what I did know. So I thought I'd just take milk thistle. There you go. I'm fine. Oh yeah. my God. I was so, so silly because, you know, and we've got Todd that does all the blogs on Sobertown. And he talks about this machine, the liver, and all these other parts of your body and what they do and how they process alcohol and gets right into it. And when you read it, you think, Lord, and I did that to myself yeah. for so long. I well, and you, and the, the psychological side, I didn't grasp how the alcohol affected the mm. psychological side. I'm drinking because I'm depressed 
not recognizing that the more I drink, the more depressed I'm going to get. And eventually I'm not ever going to get that high. I'm just going to get depressed and more depressed. And that was where I was finally getting to. And I I'd never would have put two and two together if it were not for being taught that. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just a, a whole entire mind, body, self-consuming, bloody devil. It's just, as I said, I've always said that the, the devil was in me and I had to get the devil out of me. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and then you do come to a stage where you do cross, I always say, like you, you cross the bridge into the, uh, to just a better life, you know. And the thing is, though, I never forget that the voice is there and mm-hmm. it will creep up. And that's why even with someone like you, as I said to you, you know, we don't know what we're going to get dealt in life that might make us have a slip. We don't know the amount of stress. I know my triggers now. So mm-hmm. it's being able to manage those triggers and say to him, you know, no, I'm, I don't give him the time of day. If I feel mm-hmm. that voice coming in, and it's not to say that one day he won't get me, because I know people who are like someone very close to me was sober nine years and relapsed because you just don't know what you're going to be faced with. And yeah. you have been faced with, super super trauma with your parents as have I although I was not I was still drinking back then oh my god um you know and you can only change what happens tomorrow and I do think that this is something that I'm going to have to work at forever and a day and Mm -hmm. always be on my toes and always be aware that if I'm not he's gonna he's come he's he's watching he's gonna come and try and knock on the door and say hey you know what maybe you just one I'll come on and say it's birthday and my test for sure will be when I get back home to Australia because all my friends all of them drink all that my sister's gone out in in or because she's not she's a normie she just she can take it or leave it mm-hmm. but at least I think I'll be looking at her to stay sober and have cups of tea with when I go home <laughs> but, well and that's you know, one of those things you have to be aware of because I you know for me with the fact that my drinking has been around emotional stuff, you've got to face that emotional stuff. You just yes. can't just expect it to go away. You've got to understand it. And that's what I've been learning is more techniques. And I've known it in the past, but sometimes you just have to get the swift kick in the pants to, to get back into it. But it's emotional triggers for me. And so I've gotten to the point now where if I start to have a craving, it's like, okay, what was I doing that made me have this craving? Um, what was I doing that's making me think I need to do this? Because like I, I had um, gone to talk and spent some time with my, my ex-fiance not too long ago. And I'm driving through town and I drive by this grocery store where I used to always love to go to get wine because they had really good wine, really cheap. And I'm driving by and I'm like, huh, wine. And so I, I'm, I'm like, okay, why are you thinking about that? Well, it was the emotional. It was the, the, the being around my, my ex-fiance and the thinking about it and thinking about our relationship and, and the heartache and the hurt and the good times and all these emotions. And my brain was just instantly Pavlov's dog. There's my wine store. Let's go mm-hmm. get wine. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, just, just sit with this. Just, just deal with it, face it and deal with it. Yeah, I love our friend Dottie Pot, <laughs> and she and she's taught me this because at my grocery store, when you walk in, the alcohol is the first thing you see. Oh, there it is! This all the wines lined up, and she goes past and sticks her finger up at it. Now. <laughs> so I, she goes, "You're not going to get me." <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's so funny, and that's what I do now. I just look 
and laugh and go, yeah, nah, you know, stick my finger up and walk past. So, I mean, you, you deal with it however you deal with it. But, I mean, I read so much. I mean, I really had to retrain my brain and, and it is getting in touch with those emotions and reconnecting. Everything got disconnected and yeah. you were a complete mess. And now, as I say, with my mind, it's all going to get plugged back into the right sockets and the same with my body, you know, as yeah. far as the healing goes. And I thought for someone like me, it's going to take at least a year to two years for it to, I think, really get all back to normal. I mean, I was laughing the other day. I think I, I, I told you guys where I, I put the sticky tape in the cupboard and I couldn't find it for a day. And I opened the pot where all my popcorn and snacks were and the sticky tape's up there. And I thought, oh, that's, that one's definitely unplugged. Like my memory is coming back, <laughs> you know, in, in short waves, but there's still holes there, mm. you know, because you think about the amount of times I, you know, I have blackouts and stuff and I wouldn't remember. I'd get up the next morning and you sort of tiptoe around and think, okay, is everything all right? And I've got a husband that is very, um, he's very much in the same mood every day. He doesn't, like, you don't know if he's really sad or unhappy. He doesn't really talk about it. He's just very balanced and very even, um, unless I upset him. <laughs> but, you know, and I, so I, I, and he never, ever got angry really with me because he knew what I was doing. He never got really angry mm-hmm. with me. Um, but I also knew I got to the stage where I would just go to bed early because because I knew I never knew and I've said this multiple multiple sorry multiple times I never knew the difference between is this glass going to tip me into blackout or that glass going to tip me into blackout do you know what I mean I'd be drinking yeah. all tricky you know when you just feel fine you just feel fine you just feel fine and then whoops don't remember don't, yeah. don't remember so I would just drink during that was especially of late a day drinker and then I'd, I'd always go to bed early and I think sleep was the only thing that ever saved me from getting worse because I wouldn't mm-hmm. sit up all night and drink. I'd just say, all right, you know, I had a cutoff point at night, be at 8 o'clock or whatever it was, and then get your ass to bed before I basically fell into bed Yeah, and try and get a good night's sleep. But I wasn't getting quality sleep then, but I'm not really getting quality sleep now, to be honest. I've had Me a either, sister. <laughs> shocking time with sleeping. I am a light sleeper anyway, but... <clears throat> The good news is you have, like the bad news for you is you have to work. You have to be on mm-hmm. somebody else's time. I do not. So it doesn't matter to me if I get up with two or three or four and I talk to different countries so they're on different timelines because I can really sleep whenever. But mm-hmm. I haven't slept. I, this is the least I've ever slept in my whole life the last eight months. It's really mm-hmm. weird. I still have <laughs> the 3 a.m. wake up. And, you know, I've had that for quite a few years and I'd never thought twice about it. And then when I realized that was alcohol related, I mean, I've got yeah. several years worth of that to where my body even now still wakes up at 3 a.m. And I cannot for the life of me go back to sleep. And yeah. I keep trying all these different things and Chinook kid, kid recommended one and that helped a little bit. And then um, different people have recommended different meditations and different teas and someone had recommended, um, what was it? Melatonin. So two nights ago I got melatonin and I got the, it wasn't the extra, extra strength, but it was the extra strength. Cause I'm like, you know what? I need to sleep. I, I have a yeah. hard time shutting my brain off. Yeah. I need to go to sleep. Well, there's apparently such thing as too much melatonin when you've never taken it. And I was wide awake till three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I've never taken this crap again. No, that happened <laughs> to me too. I took melatonin and it's natural. This is what you know, all the air hostesses take so they don't have it, you know, feel groggy in the morning. And I couldn't bloody go to sleep on it. 
oh yeah, that was me. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? I am trying everything. And I was just like, I am never taking this again. And I bought the two for one special. So now I've got two <laughs> bottles of the shit that I'm never going to take. <laughs> I think too, when you have a really active brain, like obviously we do, it takes it a while to come down. Like these meditations, I end up just going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just going, I can't even, like I can't meditate. I've even got a round um, lamp in my room that, you know, it has oil coming out of it and changes yeah. colours and plays the waves and everything else. I go, oh, not that tune again, and I just turn it off. So it's really bad. Like, <laughs> I, I'm a, I love my old movies, so sometimes I just put on an old movie or some nothing television yeah. that is just numbness and just, yeah, try and zone out to that. But isn't it funny? I think that's just one of the things, but that's the only down. I mean, it's not really a downside for me because if I force myself to go back to sleep, I probably could. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's always hot where I live. So I can go and sit out in the balcony at two, three, four in the morning and it's 28 degrees. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like it's freezing cold and you want to rug up in bed. It's like, like too hot. So let's go out there and listen. And I live on a river. So the boats go up and down all the night long mm-hmm. partying. So it, it's a town that never sleeps anyway, so why should I, you know? But you do need your sleep. Yeah, I definitely need my sleep at my age. I know that. And most of the other benefits are, are great. So mm-hmm. I want advice do you reckon we can give the listeners? But you know what? Just you guys probably can sleep. It's a, f- a handful of us that just can't. Yeah, you suck. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're lucky things. Some people, especially a lot of men, like my husband, puts his head down and he's out like a light. Yeah, I don't get I'm that. Like, how can you do that? How can you do that? But then he's a very calm, even energy sort of bloke. So maybe it's got something to do with our energies. I don't know. My mind's yeah, always creating and ticking away. Yeah, so I, they t- suck. T- That's yeah. all I can say. <laughs> so you're obviously happy where you, and you should be very proud where you are in your journey right now. Mm-hmm. This is a great thing. And you're working really hard at it. And so if anybody's really new or not new in the journey just tell us some of the things that have benefited you in the last 42 days that I'm the, sure that the number that one thing I think that has been my biggest motivation is doing the the free 30-day experiment that Anna Grace mm-hmm. does online I, yeah, I highly recommend it if if you are even remotely recognizing parts of yourself through me, um, the soccer mom, the person that's got it all under control and thinks they've got it under control. Um, why not do a 30 day trial and do a 30 day trial, but do it with knowledge instead, because we've all done the dry days. Um, I recommend number one, do that experiment because it's eye opening. Um, it's gut wrenching. And when you realize what's actually going on, at least for me, it was, it was very much a pivotal moment for me to recognize the shit that I needed to deal with. And um, the other thing I would recommend, if you can do it, it, it find the money, um, work with your insurance, whatever you've got to do, hell for that matter, get on TikTok therapy on, online, it's free, but find someone you can talk to. If it's not a friend, um, honestly, I think, maybe a therapist would be better a counselor someone that you can talk to but worst case you can get on tiktok and there's tons of anywhere from 30 second to three minute videos it's free therapy get on there Mm -hmm. look look it up um maybe set a timer so you're not on there all night long (laughs) (laughs) but and and the the third thing is is you know connection 
it's connection because I've done this before and not really thought a lot about it, but also not succeeded. And it's the connections that have helped me this time, especially since emotions are my trigger. And I've had a lot happen to me the last few years. I lost my brother. I lost my mother. I lost my father. I lost my fiance. Um, I moved, I'd sold all my shit, had to buy all new shit. Um, so emotions are my trigger. So recognize your trigger and process it. And as Chinook kid told me, you just got to sit with it. You got to sit with it. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like Drifter says with the addict voice, I face it. I face it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's coming to me. I'm like, okay, I see you. <laughs> now you can basically F off because I'm not engaging, you know, but I do agree with you. You have to sit with your emotions. And the thing is we get scared of our emotions and we shouldn't be really because now that I have sat with them and I spend a lot of time probably from my four to six months doing that, now there's a whole new lot coming up that I didn't think that I had. And I've, it's really interesting because you do see things differently in sobriety, even your friendships and some of your relationships and things that you thought were a certain way and now you're starting to think was I just holding that together or am I putting in more than the other person and is this really what it is because things have sort of the dynamics have changed and I don't know about you but I found my voice I used to like not as as loud and, and whatever as I am I was a people pleaser you know when even when I managed I was tough but fair but I wanted the best out of everybody I wanted people to be happy all the time I didn't want confrontation I don't like people fighting sit and discuss it you know that's the way we work it out because I saw fights as a kid and I you know it gets you nowhere it's a waste but you know you learn these things as you go along and I have and have and can have and do have I'm a Scorpio so I've got a wicked tongue and I got a bad temper and I got no patience there are three really bad defects right there and I know I know what my issue like I know what I'm like so I have to work on these things but also you know now that I've said sort of like being my honest true self I'm finding that maybe I'm getting myself into a a bit of bit of trouble <laughs> you know with other people because this is not the Deb that they used to know. Mm-hmm. You know, the d- drunken Deb would just go along with it and let things go. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't do that anymore. And it's it's just an interesting world. But, you know, we're discovering every day and it's good discoveries. And the thing is, be honest to yourself. We have to be honest in sobriety. Yeah. We really, really do to get the most out of it. You are, I do believe that everybody underneath is a really good person. Uh, I didn't like the person I was when I was drinking. I yeah. You know, I could never connect to that person, and I I look back and think, no, I don't I don't want to meet her ever again. I don't. Well, want to and I do. And- you you say that you're not the same person. I do think that. I mean, I over this this last year. I mean, a lot of shits happened this last year, but I'm not the mm. same. But I look back and think, hey, yeah, there there were times that I totally had it together. But realistically, um, so my sign is a Capricorn. I'm stubborn and I'm right. And um, that's just the way it is, period. And so here I am thinking that a few years back, hey, you know what? I'm good. I'm emotionally stable. All is great and good. Well, the simple fact was I was just I was just shutting those emotions down. I had so many years of being taught not to show emotion that it's it's hard for me to show those emotions. And now going through it this time and looking at it and watching Brene Brown's vulnerability, Ted talk mm, and her, understanding yeah. a lot of the vulnerability stuff, I'm mm. realizing, yes, I'm that same person, but 
I'm better. I, it's a better version. Yeah. I'm yeah. a better version of myself. And part of that is teaching me patience and teaching me empathy. I mean, in my job, I'm empathetic anyway, which is amazing mm. when you've been doing it for 28 years, you still mm. have to try, but it, it's given me a different outlook. And yeah. I think maybe that's part of the reason why my ex-fiance and I can have the, those hard conversations is because we're both being vulnerable. We're not the same people. We're recognizing that while we weren't bad people, we can be better people. Yeah. And I do think I'm, I'm on that journey. I'm, I'm getting back to where I was, but I'm going to be better. And so like, I've got a hike coming up in Tennessee and then next year I want to go back to the Wichita's and maybe Colorado, but the difference isn't going to be, is going to be, I'm not going there to hide. I'm going there to, to enjoy and process and, and walk with God, so to speak. But in the past, it was there just to hide from my emotions. So it's different. Yeah. And you're embracing life now. Like I really mm-hmm. think it's important to have little things to look forward to mm-hmm. in this sobriety journey, just have something little to look forward to, you know, and because life's hard enough. These days are hard enough with everything that everybody is dealing with. And everybody's got shit. Nobody gets out of it, you know, with a golden ticket. I just don't believe that's the case. But I was the same. You just say, yeah, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And you gave, I gave everybody else my attention for years and years and years. And I never gave myself, <laughs> who I owed it to the most, the attention of healing this stuff because I would think oh this happens to everyone yeah everybody's parents get to well yeah everything do you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah they've been through that they've been through it and then there was times when I drink and then I'd get resentful and say you know well, you don't know you don't understand what I've been through and that's what mum used to say to me you don't understand what I've been through you think it's been hard for you and it's so true when I look beyond just my generation to hers to her mother's it really makes sense when you follow your family path back Mm-hmm. and get to a point of understanding why things are the way they are and you are just coming down that line that linear yeah. line so but you yeah know, that's what I've been doing a lot and that's why I said that my journey has basically been going backwards because I started yeah. with my father and everything's been going backwards and mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of that as well and you know part of the reason I learned that you don't show emotions is because my parents didn't show emotions well they learned it because their parents didn't show emotions so yeah some of that I think some of that work is you just have to go backwards and and try to understand it more yeah look it's it's a learning journey but it's good stuff I Mm -hmm. still I'm so glad I'm finding this stuff out now instead of just being numb and resentful and drinking and just wasting another day you know, it's not always going to be, you know, rose, what do they say, rainbows, rainbows unicorns. But the thing is, it's still really good. It is life. And as I say, life, my life's in high definition now, good, bad, or indifferent. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad. You know, it's going to be like a roller coaster, a zigzag, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to be just one straight line. And it's going to take a long time. But that's kind of exciting, too, to, to wake up and say, you know what, I feel good but I'm still going to learn a lot today about things, you know, and mm-hmm. staying connected is the key because we all learn from each other. I have learned so much from everybody just by staying connected on the Zooms and everything. And I find everybody fascinating because everybody's got a story. So <laughs> I just want to thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add before we say bye to the listeners, but I just, I can't thank you enough. And I, I personally have resonated with so much, so much that you've said that you and I will probably continue yeah. this off air. Um, I would like to say that for anybody that's struggling and you're on the app, post it because you're not alone. 
um, if, if you're in a horrible bitchy mood and you want to rip off even the cat's head, which I don't like cats, so that's okay. But, uh, <laughs> um, post it because wherever you are on your days, and um, people that have been like, as far as you are, um, even up 500 days and whatever they remember, and it gives people the opportunity to let you know that you're not alone, that it gets better. Um, there's just something to be said for knowing that what you're feeling is normal. So if, if you're having a bad day, um, just post it. If you're on a zoom and you hate yourself, at least show up, say, Hey, and log off. I've done that. Um, just be present, be honest, be vulnerable and and just let people help you yeah it's a really great community and everybody is really for the most part really really supportive mm-hmm. you know it really is and and i know so many people who have found like their tribe and their connection and their group of friends and even if you find one or two just having somebody there just to be there for you or to pick up the phone i mean a lot of people do it off the app as well you know i know i do mm-hmm. and um just to have somebody that's there and listens and understands and I don't know what I'd do without my connections now. I've made, I'm sure, lifelong friends. And I just can't imagine my life without them now. And if it means losing some of the old ones along the way, because maybe some of them weren't true friendships mm-hmm. or some people don't like the fact that I'm sober or whatever, whatever it may be, that's just the way it is. That's the way life's mm-hmm. going to work itself out. But I hope that you will promise me one thing too, because I will make this promise to you that nobody, and I mean nobody, will jeopardize my sobriety i won't let anybody do that to me so i hope that you won't let anybody if i ever fall off the wagon again it's because i'm aware and i know what i'm doing and i pray to god that i don't because you never say Mm -hmm. never but i can promise you that yeah that's not going to happen yeah i feel that way for myself and and it's the same way with my ex-fiance um at no time will i let things go bad to where it jeopardizes his drinking and falling back on that and the same for, for him with me. We have to be sober first. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best and I hope you. with all my heart, sweetheart, that it works out for you both. And I thank you so much. And, and you're awesome. So thank you so much. Oh. Well, <laughs> listeners will say goodbye. And as my friend Drifter would say, pour the poison down the sink and please tune in next time for the next episode of Sober Discussions with King and have a great day guys. Bye for now. Bye guys.